Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Sublime. This is the podcast that attempts to explore the experience of spiritual practice and awakening in the midst of everyday messy lives. And um, in today's episode, I'll be sharing a reflection I gave in my recent Dharma talk about the virtue and value of wise friendship on the path. And this talk in particular was, was inspired by a, um, an episode on a podcast with Sam Harris recently where he had the Anglo-Irish poet David White on as his guest. And David shared some reflections about friendship that I found incredibly moving and dharmically relevant, and I wanted to sort of give some of my commentary on those reflections. So that's what this talk will be today. But before I give that talk, I'd just like to mention a little bit about the four weekly classes that Terry and I teach in an ongoing way that are designed to support a continuity, connection, and sustainability with the everyday sublime. So to that end, on Monday night, I offer a Dharma talk and a meditation and discussion session. On Tuesdays, Terry teaches a yin yoga and qigong hybrid class where she begins with a, a floor-based yin yoga sequence followed by qigong exercises that are designed to harmonize one's subtle body or energy body. On Wednesday, I come back with a yin yoga class that integrates the contemplative theme from the Dharma talk on Mondays. And then Terry finishes the week on Thursday morning with a yang yoga class, which is a more dynamic, active style of yoga that is designed to strengthen and energize one's being. This suite of classes, these four classes, is a form of an integral practice that is intended to uh, awaken and harmonize the body, energy, heart, and mind. And um, we've been finding it incredibly gratifying to work with people uh, on a weekly level like this. Um, and we've really seen how their commitment to practice and their uh, connection to practice is, is more regular. And, and in, within that regularity, there's an inevitable deepening in, in, of experience and understanding. And that's just incredibly gratifying. But don't take my word for it. Uh, one of our students in Ireland recently wrote in saying, Hi, Josh. I really enjoyed the class yesterday, but I think it was one of the most challenging practices I've had for a long time. Every one of those difficulties or obstacles you read out, the desire, aversion, restlessness, etc., uh, I was experiencing them all. I think it was, but I think it was just a reflection, she says, on how I've been feeling in this seven-week lockdown and the general mood here. But afterwards, and this is the important thing, Afterwards, in Shavasana, I dropped into a deep state, and I feel amazing this morning. I hope to sign up again for next week's class, as the main insight I got was that I need, I need this style of practice. It brought me right back to the training I did with you in Spain a few years back, all the struggles and, and suffering and dukkha that, that I released after. So thank you so much, plus the podcasts are amazing. I just seem to listen to the right one at the right time, and it always seems relevant. I'm so glad for these online classes. It really is the best thing that has come out of the past year. So that's wonderful to hear. It's obviously very gratifying. And, and if you too would like the support and continuity of practice from an online practice community, um, and you're, uh, you appreciate yin yoga, qigong, meditation, yang yoga, 
We'd love to have you join us, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Okay, now for today's talk, again, this is going to be a talk on friendship inspired by a conversation between Sam Harris and David White. And that talk is available through Sam Harris's podcast called Making Sense. Um, but in this in the talk that I give, I give some commentary on that conversation. And the only other thing I'm going to say now is that, um, as I shared with the Sangha on Monday last, um, I am going to be integrating a kind of new practice within the Sangha. Um, and it's going to be a practice of writing, both journal writing and letter writing. I'm going to be initiating a kind of spiritual pen pal program, what I'm loosely calling the Kalyana Mitra Project. I'll be saying more about that in my newsletter and in the podcast, I'm sure, coming forward. But some good things are coming forward in the um, offerings we have in the Sangha. And again, I just want to encourage you to check that out if you're interested. Now, without further ado, I bring you today's talk, The Touchstone of Witness. going to return temporarily back to a uh, an earlier theme, a theme that actually launched our Sangha with, um, and that's the theme of friendship. Um, we are in the middle of exploring the difficult energies of meditation, known as the hindrances. I started that uh, series of reflections at the beginning of the year, and we'll come back to that uh, likely next week. Um, but as I tried to say last week, uh, one of the things that I really appreciate about Dharma practice, Dharma study, is that um, no matter what part of the Dharma you look at, whether it's a, a teaching on the nature of suffering, a, teach, a teaching on the nature of compassion or friendship or mindfulness or tranquility or, or loving kindness, whatever the theme might be, when you go very deeply into any one theme, it's as though the entirety of the Dharma opens up within that theme, that, the, that really that there's... The, the entire macrocosm of all the teachings are contained within any piece of the teaching. So um, when we come back to friendship tonight, I, I hope you'll see um, elements in the reflection that can apply to working with difficult energies as, as, if and when they arise during our practice or our life. Um, so the theme of friendship, um, the word in Pali, again, Pali is the language that the Buddhist teachings were preserved in, initially. The word in Pali for friendship is Kalyana Mitra, and it means spiritual friend, a spiritual friend. And it's often used for um, the person who sits in the teacher role. Um, so in, in at least in early Buddhism, as I'm familiar with it, we don't refer to uh, beings as being as our teacher or our guru so much that we might conventionally use the term teacher. But Amongst teachers, there's the idea that, that the teacher is really just occupying a position of a spiritual friend. That is somebody who has traversed enough of the path that they understand kind of the, the highs and lows and the mechanics of walking and the gear that you might want along with your trip and how to prepare food on the path and things like that. Basically, how to get by on the path. They've gone long enough that they can be of help to someone who's just getting going in a, in a way. And, and what I like about the idea is that there isn't this uh, sort of blind dogmatic allegiance to the authority figure. There's an idea that uh, the spiritual friend offers ideas to reflect on, teachings to consider, um, but the student or the person participating with the teachings are, are freely 
able to exercise their own free will and and wise um, sort of discrimination to to integrate and 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 pick up whatever is seems of value and of, of benefit to themselves, but not to do anything that feels like that's, that it's putting them out of it, out of integrity with their, themselves. So, so um, there's, I'll say more about this probably in another talk, but the, the, I, I really pedagogically um, as a, as a quote unquote facilitator here um, really feel very strongly about the importance of all of you um, being independent you know, having your own independent take on things, independence in terms of what you do in your practice, where you take it, and that you don't feel beholden or kind of constrained by trying to get it right in terms of what I or somebody else might be saying. And I really, I want to try to foster your own independence here. And that's uh, very much stitched into the, to the, to the, the ethos of the Sangha, that, that we're supporting you in your, in, together in your own independent discovery of your yourself in your life. Um, so when I started talking about Kalyana Mitras and spiritual friendships uh, last September, um, I shared with you a, a relatively famous passage in the, in the suttas where the Buddha's cousin, Ananda, his name is Ananda, which means bliss, but the Buddha's cousin had a, had a, had a specific dialogue with the Buddha where he was asking about the role of friendship on the path. And there's this kind of curious way that the, the theme was discussed where Ananda asks the Buddha, is, is spiritual friendship a quarter of the path? Is it a half of the path? But basically saying what percentage or ratio is friendship on the path? Like what, 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 what position does it hold on the path? And, and the Buddha is quick to chastise his cousin by saying, Ananda, Spiritual friendship, good friendship is not a quarter, it's not half the path, it is the entirety of the path. It's the entirety of the path. And that, of course, begs the idea, or begs the question, what is the Buddha referred to as good friendship, spiritual friendship? And as I tried to explain back in the fall, um, I think this really points to our, our relationship to ourselves, like how we are a friend, we become, or we evolve into a friendship with ourselves it's that's transformative um, but also it, it speaks to how our realization in the course of our practice what we wake up to how our realization and awakening integrates with the world around us and that is through relationship how we treat ourselves and others so um, i think this theme is 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 of uh, perennial or you know perpetually rich material to draw from and recently, I was uh, really struck and powerfully moved by a sort of a, not really a conversation, but it was a, a discussion with the Anglo-Irish poet David White that Sam Harris uh, facilitated on his podcast. And um, I really encourage you to look that up if you're interested. It's, it's Sam, Sam Harris's podcast called Waking Up or the Making Sense podcast. And he had the poet David White on to discuss David's book, Consolations, uh, which is a, a sort of a, a meditation on ordinary everyday words. And, and one of the words that, that David shares on is the, the meaning of friendship, the, an exploration of the term friendship. And as I listened to David read from his book about friendship, it occurred to me that there are at least three, if not more, aspects of the, what he's teasing out in the, in the friendship dynamic that I think 
bear a particular relevance to uh, our journey on the path and our journey into ourselves in meditation. So I'm not going to read the entirety of the passage. That would um, be a little bit long, but I basically read everything except for two paragraphs. And it's not that these two paragraphs don't re don't relate. It's just that I'm trying to cut down and edit for brevity's sake. But um, as they say in the in the podcast, um, David really recommends that you, as you listen to this, to put yourself into a, a meditative contemplative position. So we don't often think about listening to poetry or listening to an essay as meditation. But um, as he describes in the podcast, the idea is to let the words um, accompany you into your own inner experience, to let the words work into you and, and, and almost uh, temporarily replace your own thoughts that occur in meditation and, and just let these words come in and, and be part kind of the guiding um, reference point for looking into your experience um, while we meditate. So we're not going to meditate formally right now, but I would, what I would recommend is just you know, maybe close your eyes, sit back, uh, and put yourself into a reflective position as, as you listen to um, David White's reflections here. So he says this, friendship is a mirror to presence and a testament to forgiveness. Friendship not only helps us see ourselves through another's eyes, but can be sustained over the years only with someone who has repeatedly forgiven us for our trespasses, as we must find it in ourselves to forgive them in turn. A friend knows our difficulties and shadows and yet remains in sight. A companion to our vulnerabilities more than our triumphs. When we are under the strange illusion, we do not need them. An undercurrent of real friendship is a blessing exactly because its elemental form is rediscovered again and again through understanding and mercy. All friendships, all friendships of any length are based on a continued mutual forgiveness. Without tolerance and mercy, all friendships die. In the course of the years, a close friendship will always reveal the shadow in the other as much as ourselves. To remain friends, we must know the other and their difficulties and even their sins and encourage the best in them, not through critique, but through addressing the better part of them, the leading creative edge of their incarnation, thus subtly discouraging what makes them smaller, less generous, less of themselves. The dynamic of friendship is almost always underestimated as a constant force in human life. The dynamic of friendship is almost always underestimated as a constant force in a human life. A diminishing circle of friends is the first terrible diagnostic of a life in deep trouble, of overwork, of too much emphasis on a professional identity of forgetting who will be there when our armored personalities run into the inevitable natural disasters and vulnerabilities found in even the most average existence. Through the eyes of a friend, we especially learn to remain at least a little interesting to others. 
when we flatten our personalities and lose our curiosity in life of the world or of another, friendship loses spirit and animation. Boredom is the second great killer of friendship. Through the natural surprises of a relationship held through the passage of years, we recognize the great surprising circles of which we are a part and the faithfulness that leads to a wider sense of revelation independent of human relationship. To learn to be friends with the earth and the sky, with the horizon and with the seasons, even with the disappearances of winter and in that faithfulness, take the difficult path of becoming a good friend to our own going. Friendship transcends disappearance. An enduring friendship goes on after death, the exchange only transmuted by absence, the relationship advancing and maturing in a silent internal conversational way, even after one half of the bond has passed on. But no matter but no matter the medicinal virtues of being a true friend or sustaining a long, close relationship with another, the ultimate touchstone, the ultimate touchstone of friendship is not improvement, neither of the other nor of the self. The, the ultimate touchstone is witness, the privilege of having been seen by someone and the equal privilege of being granted the sight of the essence of another. To have walked with them and to have believed in them, and sometimes just to have accompanied them for however brief a span, on a journey impossible to accomplish alone. So I know that was quite a passage, um, uh, and I've I think listened to it at least a half a dozen times now on the podcast, and it sort of moves me and stirs me and 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 brings things up every time. But there are three general aspects of friendship that I think have a particularly relevant Dharma uh, application that I want to speak to here or reflect on. And the first is. Uh, what he says about bearing witness, what David White says about bearing witness. This is this comes to the, towards the end of the passage where he says, but no matter, no matter the medicinal virtues of being a true friend or sustaining a long, close relationship with another, the ultimate touchstone of friendship is not improvement, neither of the other nor of the self. The ultimate touchstone is witnessing or witness. And as I you know, have reflected on my most meaningful friendships um, and the powers that those friends seem to possess, uh, it, it is conveyed in that phrase, the touchstone is witness, that it's not so much what they say, it's not that they have solutions or remedies or strategies for how I can get out, out of a jam, when I'm overwhelmed or anxious or depressed or confused and just feeling footloose and lost. In all of that, there's something about the presence of another being that can just bear witness to my struggle or to your struggle that in itself is somehow transformative. And it's hard to put a, to, to put a word to that or to put a phrase to that or to describe it exactly. 
But if you've had a good friend, which I hope you all have had, you know what I'm referring to. I was thinking about it in terms of a phrase I heard from uh, the, the scholar uh, Robin Wong, who I had on the podcast talking about Taoism. She says, you know, when we when we see yin and yang as being in opposition to each other, there's we see we perceive a problem. But when we start to see the inseparable unity between yin and yang, we see the the contained predicament within them. So the, the problem, the confusion is no longer something that's overwhelming, but it becomes sort of contained as a predicament. And and contained predicaments usually inevitably resolve themselves when the when the when the, the right turn or right uh, answer emerges and you know that's it's something that it's a gift that friends give us that they're able to not necessarily bat away our conflicts or difficulties but they just they bear witness to us while we're there and allow the, the solution of of effortless perfection to come forward when it's ready and <clears throat> That's what you know. Our, our interpersonal friendships provide us, but our intra, our friendship within ourselves, the friendship that we're cultivating in practice, in many ways, is is the, the axis of that internal friendship is is organized around our awareness. That our own awareness functions like the witness of a good friend. And I've, I've spoken about witnessing consciousness in different ways and in different terms but um, behind all the stories of what we take ourselves to be behind all the our limiting views and opinions and ideas and um, shortcomings and all of that all of all of the content of our personality that comes to us and is mediated through feeling and thought and sensation all of that is is held all of that is known and received by our witness which can often sound, you know, the witness can sound kind of detached and, and coldly removed. And the part of our awareness that just observes, that doesn't inter, in, uh, infiltrate, doesn't interfere, that doesn't um, manipulate or push things one way or another. But the benign light of our own awareness that bears witness to all the ups and downs of even the most, as David White says, even the most average life. Now, connected to bearing witness to others and to ourselves is this, you could say, the revela revelation of and acceptance of the shadow. The parts of ourselves, the parts of another that um, don't, necessarily um, come with um, lots of excitement and uh, <laughs> welcome uh, the difficult parts of ourselves that, that we try to repress or pretend that uh, are not noticed. Um, and if I think about all of the most important friendships I've had, which is less than the number of fingers on a hand, I'd say, but all of them, the one thing that they all share is that they, those friends stayed with me even when 
the part of me, the parts of me that were not, that I would prefer to stay, keep in the closet, those parts came out. And you could see the very worst in me, the very worst behavior, the very worst thoughts. And they could forgive me, not necessarily by counteracting or forcing or, or you know, kind of challenging me and, and shaming me. But as David White says, reminding me of you know, the better angels of my being. Quote, in the course of the years of a close friendship, will, they will always reveal the shadow in the other as much as ourselves. To remain friends, we must know the other and their difficulties and even their sins and encourage the best in them. And this is very much true in any long-standing friendship, but it's also very much true in any long-standing meditation practice. If you stay with this, you know, and this is the kind of the, the secret that um, I didn't hear when I started. Uh, and maybe it was discussed and, and I just didn't hear it because I was kind of swept away by um, the honeymoon of, of, of newness of, of the path. But I remember when I started practice, I really held this conviction that <laughs> I would go on retreat once or twice a year. I would commit to 30 minutes to an hour of meditation a day. I would focus on my breath as much as possible. And I was absolutely convinced that that was the formula. That was all that needed to be done. And that everything that I was unresolved about would get resolved. Anything that I was ashamed of would get kind of upgraded and, and, and spiritualized. Compassion and kindness would be like just breathing air. It'd be super easy. And that wasn't the case. And, and as the years ticked on, at times there were, there, there have been, I should say, convulsions of revelation, meaning you know, things from my unconscious and things that have been kept out of sight, they come up. And not just take me by surprise, but they, they, they can create tremendous discord in my life or in the life of others. And it's incredibly disorienting when that happens. It can, it can feel like the path is, has abandoned you or the practice has abandoned you or you've abandoned the practice or that you're off the rails or that you're in the ditch and that you just you have to go back on retreat to sweep all this, this dark stuff away. But as I try to leave space and room for in, in our conversations, um, I think the, the shadow emerges not because uh, of a problem in practice, but precisely because the witnessing capacity of our mind is getting established enough to agree a degree that we have now have the ego strength, if you will, the ego strength to open to our shadows, to become accountable to our shadows. And when we become accountable to them, they don't they don't necessarily continue on so much with causing destruction and pain in our life, but become actually very vital, rich sources of creative potential and energy when they're integrated. But when, they're, when they reveal themselves on the path, when we, they reveal themselves in our practice, we can sure as hell feel like things are going wrong. So 
I love this idea that White speaks to about a good friend is one that sees, knows, accepts, and forgives with tolerance and mercy over and over again. Now, all poets seem to have a way of with words, um, and White is no exception. He, in his passage, he has a phrase, a little phrase, two-word phrase, where he says, a good friendship transcends disappearance. Transcends disappearance. The quote, actual quote, I have it here again, is, a friendship transcends disappearance. An enduring friendship goes on after death. The exchange only transmuted by absence. The relationship advancing and maturing in a silent inter internal conversation. Sorry. The relationship advancing and maturing in a silent internal conversational way, even after one half of the bond has passed on. <clears throat> so in terms of, I don't know where you are in your life trajectory at this point, but um, Last summer, as many of you know, I, I lost a dear friend. Lost a couple of dear friends last year, but one in particular was um, Michael Brooks. And um, what's notable about Michael is that, and it's, this is what's weird about losing a friend like him, is that he had become relatively famous in his own way um, prior to his passing. And I only became aware of his fame and, and, um, and standing in the world as he passed. But Michael was a, um, a younger brother of sorts. He was about 10 years younger than me and someone who I met, and we first met on, a, on our first meditation retreat together. We both signed up at the same time to go on a 10 day retreat over a new year break. And we uh, very quickly bonded over spiritual practice, philosophy, the writing of Ken Wilber and, and other things. And um, he and I, ultimately ended up co-writing a little book on meditation called the Buddhist playbook. But um, my, you know, and I, I even, I had a podcast episode in tribute to him, uh, but there was something about the friendship that when it, when he, when his life ended, I, I could start to see things about the relationship that I could only see in hindsight or after the, after his life was over. Um, and one of them was, was the appreciation of how much, the, the container of the friendship allowed us to both to express ourselves completely, no matter how shameful or embarrassing or crude that expression might be. And that, and that, uh, that's a gift. Um, it's a gift that I, um, will not take lightly, uh, or take for granted again. But, um, to what David White is saying is that, uh, you know, after he passed and I, after I kind of recovered a bit from the, the intense grief and shock of, of his passing, which is very sudden and non-COVID related, it was a undiagnosed blood clot that took him. Um, you know, he's he's been in my mind and in my my conversations within my mind, more or less constantly, definitely on a daily basis. And I'm, I'm in some ways talking to him more now than when he was alive. And, and I say that, and, and, and I want to be very clear. Discovering that, 
discovering that the friendship transcends disappearance has been one of the most wonderful, healing, enlivening realizations. And it's, in a way, made me feel fear much less around losing friends and wanting much more to celebrate and extract the, the vitality in my relationships while they're alive, but knowing that when they, when they do pass, that the conversation goes on. And in some ways, uh, <laughs> David White shares that he was good friends with, with John Donahue, the, the Irish poet, and that the nice thing about the conversations he now has with Donahue is that he, he can always get the final word in. <laughs> and, um, and that's certainly been true for me. But there's... <clears throat> This notion of transcending disappearance, there's this transcendence of death itself, in a way, to me that speaks to a very dharmic theme that, and I, and I hinted at this theme last time, and I, I pulled up the quotation for it this week, but I shared with you last week this passage that um, is, appears in the, in the Buddha's early um, sort of utterances known as the Dhammapada. It's the collection of his short short pithy teachings. This is verse 21 from the Dharmapada, where he, the Buddha says, mindfulness is the path to the deathless. Mindlessness is the path to death. Those who are mindful do not die. Those who are mindless are as though dead already. Now, death, birth and death, life and death, um, these can be these are these can have multiple meanings here, and 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 the meaning of death that the Buddha does not mean is that he's not saying that if you're mindful, your body won't die. So your your org, organismic life, the life of your organism, dies. No one's contesting that. What he's saying here is though that when we're awake, when when we're our awareness is awake, when we're mindful. In our experience, we see that there are the things that are coming and going. This is sort of what I was trying to get back to last week. But when we're really present, we're established as the witness, watching and observing our experience, there are the elements of experience that come and go. And this is, I'm not trying to be deep here. This is just what we, what we start to become aware of. We see that our body is a, is a collection of impermanent changing sensations so the body's experience comes and goes in our and it would be for our awareness but just like our body our feelings come and go our opinions come and go our memories come and go our thoughts come and go the world of what we think ourselves to be you could say our our projected image of a self that's generated by feeling, thought, and sensation, that whole projected image of what we are comes and goes before our awareness. And so while the body is death-bound, while our thoughts are born and cease and are death-bound, same with feeling, all of these conditions are death-bound except for the one condition that's unchanging. That is our awareness. So when we, if I can tie this knot, tie this thread together here, when we 
rest as our good friend, our witness, observing our experience, we transcend the disappearing or the disappearances of our body, feelings, and thoughts. And that relates, that, that kind of contemplation, that reflection, that relates to the final aspect of good, good friendship that I want to speak to tonight. Which, and this didn't come up in the, in the section where they were discussing friendship, but it's something that Sam Harris has mentioned a few times, and he does bring it in later on in the conversation with David White. Where he talks about, and this is Sam here, but Sam says, that he talks about the relationship of, of a good friendship similar to the ancestor, similar to being the ancestor of our future happiness. Or the, our friendship is the ancestor to our future selves happiness. Now, you can take that literally, and that's what I think David White speaks to when he, when he mentions it here. He says, the dynamic of friendship is almost always underestimated as a constant force in a human life. A diminishing circle of friends is the first terrible diagnostic of a life in deep trouble, of overwork. And I, I, I wince as I read these this list because it, I could, I've, I've committed all of these sins being being slave to overwork or too much emphasis on a professional identity, not able to show up at someone's party or celebration because of a weekend, something bit of work somewhere. But as white says, the forgetting of who will be there when our armored personalities run into the inevitable natural disasters and vulnerabilities found in even the most average existence. So this, I mean, it's not to say that we just make friendships to, to sort of have a, a circle of, of care and support when we, when we, you know, when we need food cooked and <laughs> we can't, we can't uh, work the cooker as well uh, as we'd like. But, um, you know, I'm I'm at the age where I, I you know, I, I'm sort of in the midpoint. Or I hope I'm at the midpoint of a of a life, more or less, maybe a little bit past the midpoint. But I can see my friends that are beyond me. And I can see what, what happens when, when the bodies start to um, deteriorate, when the health starts to give out, uh, whether it's the mind or the body or both, and um, and how scary it can be if there isn't some some degree of circle of support and care. So you can take that literally that that, that friendships uh, are will will. Uh, the cultivation, the act, the activity of cultivating a good friendship, functions as a kind of ancestor to our future selves' happiness and well-being. It's sort of an investment in something that we'll, we'll be able to call from, call upon. And it's that notion that I want to kind of tie into the idea of meditation, the idea of committing to practice. What we're all doing here, sitting down and looking at ourselves, but to see that activity of meditation as a commitment, as an investment from our present self into our future selves' happiness, our future selves' well-being. And by that, one way of 
speaking to it, you can you could say, you know, in the everydayness of just getting through life, so much energy goes into, you know, the the the, the needs of the body, and then extension of that sort of work to safeguard resources to maintain the needs of the body. And so those are very compelling activities. And just as you, you know, would be well advised to adopt an investment strategy for your finances. So you're putting a little bit away for a rainy day. In the same way, when we practice, we are establishing an appreciation and a refuge of our own awareness that transcends disappearance. So that when the things that we cherish, whether it's our own body, our own health, our own physical capacity, our own mental capacity, the friends that we cultivate, the partners that we have, furry, four-legged, two-legged, whatever love that we've gathered into ourselves, when those all start to change, which they unfortunately inevitably do, through meditation, we have invested in ourselves in a, dim- in a dimension of our being that can hold can hold the totality of life and not sort of when things get rough, not collapse into depression, anxiety, fear, reactivity per se. We'll notice those things. We'll feel those things for sure, but not collapse into them, but still have a foothold in the transcendent awareness of your being so that we're able to be with the totality of life and thrive and not be defined by reactive energies of fear and worry and despair, but actually be able to define and chart our life around qualities of virtuous qualities of, of love, joy, connection, compassion, and friendship in a way. So, you know, I another way of saying this is like the, the tsunamis are coming. We've all, we, you know, collectively we've all been weathering a pretty big tsunami with the, with the form of the pandemic and the economic fallout and the health fallout and the interpersonal stuff, all related to that. So we've gotten a big dose of it this last this last year. But even though the collective tsunami may be kind of subsiding. And uh, we're all start to patch together and put together our normal, quote unquote, normal lives again. The big tsunamis are are still there on the horizon, and we're we're aware of them all along. Loss, death, illness, and one way of looking at practice is that when we face these truly terrifying conditions ones that I would wish on nobody. I don't wish them on myself and don't wish them on any of you. But when we start to, when these, these terrifying conditions do come, 
we have prepared, not by padding our bank account, not by you know staying inside to hermetically seal us from any danger. We prepared to face these things by by really appreciating the refuge of our own mind, our mind's refuge to be able to be with, open to, and hold whatever occurs. Like your awareness, the witness has it, they can hold it. And 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 it's it's the recognition of that, it's the simple acknowledgement of that dimension of your being that we celebrate in practice. And this will I'll then tack into the meditation that we'll have a sitting shortly. But when we practice, you know, this is why I say we're not trying to change anything of our experience, we're not trying to put things, get things away, hang on to a pleasant thing or get rid of something that's unpleasant. We don't make demands on what our experience offers. With a sense of simplicity, we open to the way our experience is, the way our life is, the truth of the way it is. And all we do with that, if you want to call it a doing, all we do is bear witness to the truth of our experience. Now, that's putting it in simple terms. Going back, if something comes up, if while you're bearing witness to your experience as it is, if something comes up that's really overwhelming and flooding and doesn't, you don't feel like you have the, the, the ability to transcend it by, by, um, by holding it with this spacious awareness, you feel like it's, it's going to uh, like crash you into the rocks. That's where I always say everyone has permission to turn away and redirect one's attention. So the the, the small, the, the instruction within the broader instruction is you always have permission to choose where you place your attention. So that, that shouldn't be forgotten. You always can redirect, bring your attention to your breath, to your hands, to, you can open your eyes, look at the floor, you can listen to sounds. But the broader intention is just to bear witness to what is. And, and, and really to have no rejection of anything. But there's room in your mind for it all. Your awareness can hold it all. And we're just trust, learning to trust and have faith in that very effortless capacity of our mind. Okay, I hope you enjoyed today's talk. Um, it's been a theme that I've been uh, really enjoying reflecting on and expanding on. And uh, the more I look into it, the more I, I feel like I get from it myself. So I want to encourage you both to uh, maybe loop back into the, the original conversation between Sam and David White on the Making Sense podcast. And again, if you'd like to practice with Terry and me, please check out our offerings through our Sangha. That's it for today. I will be bringing you, I know I've been promising this, but I'm going to be bringing you some interviews soon, not just my Dharma talks. Interviews are coming. Stay tuned. Uh, keep practicing. Stay healthy. And I 
look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thanks so much.